0: It's Monday, June twentieth. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gentlemen. Hey, hey. we're back. We're back. Unfortunately, we're in here because it's a it's a scotcha. It out is. There. <laughs> it's it a scotcha. Getting ready
1: for the Motley Fool event in Boston already, huh? Exactly. <laughs> it's a scotcha.
0: Exactly. Let's uh, let's get to some of the news of the day, and let's start with the big weekend for the Walt Disney Company finding Dory taking in 136 million dollars domestically at the box office it's the biggest opening weekend ever for an animated film Jason and as you and I were talking about right before we walked in the studio we were
2: not a part of this we were not no, contributing no money no, to won't. this we will at some point with yeah, our kids not yet but but soon enough i mean that was one of the uh, one of the discussions around the dinner table this weekend was when are we going to go see it? So I suspect it'll just be a matter of time. School gets out on Thursday, so um, we're gonna have to figure out some way to occupy some time here for the next eight, nine, ten weeks. I guess. Um, I to me this is obvious. It's no surprise that that Disney nails it again with a, with a movie. I think the interesting thing to look at here, though, is the fact that the original film came out thirteen years ago. I mean, it was Finding Nemo that uh started this whole thing and i mean that was that was a good movie and i think it was it was suitable for all all audiences parents kids and everywhere in between but it's just amazing to me that 13 years later i mean these guys cat they they just keep on catching lightning in a bottle they it's just they've got it figured out and and it just goes to show how important those acquisitions were in Pixar in Marvel and now in Lucasfilm, they are the masters at being able to string these stories out over really long periods of time. And It was interesting, I got a question on Twitter uh, last week, someone was asking me, all things being equal today with, with Disney and Netflix share prices in the same ballpark there. What Same ballpark I, in terms of price or in, valuation. In, in price, in price, and so this was this was sort of valuation, I guess, agnostic, and that, that's another issue entirely. But I mean, it was looking at the prices today. What did I? What did I favor more? If I had to pick one, what would I pick? And I, I was actually kind of surprised for for how quickly I, I reacted. To that it was no question, Disney, and and the reason is because they have all of this IP that they can continue to. Uh, leverage over years and years and years and between those th- those three acquisitions in in Marvel and Pixar and in Lucasfilm uh, they're going to be telling these stories long into our uh, golden years chris and and hopefully our grandchildren will will be experiencing the same things that that we experience when we watch our kids uh, sort of go through all of this it, just just really amazing and and, and what the really uh, neat part for Disney is it, it's not even like it's the majority of, of the money that they make. Um, I mean, films they contribute probably eight to ten percent of operating profit, but but they figure out ways to monetize beyond that in the parks and consumer goods and all of all of that other stuff. So uh, yeah, not surprising, uh, very impressive. I look forward to seeing it. I'm sure I'll love it.
1: I can't believe it's 13 years old. That caught me by surprise. I was at a concert the other day and. People were smacking around inflatable Nemo's. I figured it was just (laughs) yesterday that the movie came out, Um, but add it to the list. That's I think it's the 11th weekend this year that they've had the top grossing movie uh, in the box office.
0: Yeah, that's the part I wanted to get to. So we've had 25 weekends so far in 2016, (laughs) nearly half of them. And for nearly half of them, the Walt Disney Company has had the number one movie at the box office over the weekend. And I'm wondering if. I mean just in the time that we've in the years we've been doing this podcast Jason our the way we have talked about this part of Disney's business has changed because I I would say 5 years ago not that we were dismissing the studio part but it was it was way on the back burner and just in the time that we've been doing this podcast it has become incrementally a bigger part of their revenue as you said around 8 10% but it has ticked up over the years slightly. But the way it is fed into consumer products and the way it is fed into the parks, I think the movie segment of Disney has become much more crucial to the health of the overall business than that initial eight revenue line would indicate.
2: No question. I think part of that we can attribute to uh, the the way distribution has changed over the course of, let's just use 13 years here as the example. because. When I look at it from this perspective, my oldest daughter is eleven, and uh, youngest daughter's getting ready to turn ten. They're big Finding Nemo fans, but if we do the math here, Chris, I mean, Nemo (laughs) came out before they were born, right? And and yet they still saw it and loved it. Uh, They were five or six or whatever when they saw it. So you're seeing this opportunity where it extends so far beyond just the theatrical release, and in the way that the distribution model works now. Whether it be Netflix or Amazon or any kind of over the top service. I mean, obviously, the internet has changed this space. I think we'll all agree for the better. Um, it, it really is just a testament to how long, how far this can extend beyond just the theatrical release. And we, we've talked before, particularly, I think, with a company like DreamWorks, where always really the big risk was that these These theatrical releases are inherently lumpy, so you'll have periods of time where profitability maybe isn't as robust as times when they have hits that comes out uh, come out. Um, and I think that with with Disney, I mean, not only do they make their money a number of different ways, but boy, they sure have taken the lumpiness out of this because they have so many properties now. they're always I mean they're just able to spin out. A new hit. It seems like on a regular basis, without oversaturating it, because they're all different stories based on different worlds and different characters. So again, I think that goes back to really the value in those three big acquisitions and and what they're going to be able to do with with all of those properties here. And honestly, the coming decades. I mean, I think this is going to be a, this is going to be something we're going to be talking about. I think for many many years to come.
1: I think you hit it right on the head with the lumpiness taken out of it. Movies used to be like. The premiere optionality, case and optionality, where you have to produce a ton of movies. Hopefully, you hit a couple big. Where, I mean, the the previous record for a weekend animated movie was Shrek Three, so that was Mm -hmm. the third line in that series. Now you have the second in the Finding Nemo series. I'm sure there will be a third, Um, Frozen as well. So, they keep finding that one iron that tot and then replicating it over time.
2: Sure, they've got the Beauty and the Beast uh, real life movie that's coming out soon. It'll be kind of like what they did with Cinderella. A year and a half ago or so, and I'm pretty sure that's going to work out pretty well. And I'm 99.9% certain <laughs> that they will uh, be getting some of our money too. And
1: Spielberg's <laughs> making his directorial debut for Disney this year with uh, the BFG, Big Friendly oh, Giant. Oh yeah, that's right, that's yeah.
2: right. I saw the trailer for that in I can't remember what movie we went to go see, but I saw the. Trailer so
1: that's a a role doll
0: book. Uh, he did yeah. uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and and. Uh, uh, subsequent other books. That was a book that I, I didn't really know about until um, uh, my son read it this past year, and so he and he really loved it. He's ten years old. He really loved it. So I, I was sort of flipping through it, and I was reminded. And then I and then I saw the trailer, and so between sort of flipping through the book and then uh, seeing the trailer, I was reminded. Roll Dahl, a little bit of darkness to his books. <laughs> like that's what, like I, I will be very curious to see how that film does because. You look at the the reviews of Finding Dory, and they are you know it made the movie made all the money in the world this weekend. Um, the reviews were, hey, this isn't quite as good as Finding Nemo, but that's a very high bar. This is still an excellent film, that sort of thing. I, I don't know. I am I'm, uh, i don't want to bet against Steven Spielberg. You can go broke doing that. Yeah, but I'll be very curious to see what the reviews are on the, on the Big Friendly Giant, because yeah. that thing looks a little dark, <laughs> a little <laughs> yeah, freaky. Uh, LinkedIn has come out with its first-ever top attractors list. This is a list of the 40 uh, companies in America, uh, employers, that are the best at attracting and retaining talent. And this is LinkedIn using uh, all of the data that they have in terms of uh, company websites, um, job seekers, uh, employers, uh, engagement, etc., etc. Here's the top five. Well, I, and I'm not going to go directly in order. Number one is Google, not really a surprise to me. Number three is Facebook, also not a surprise. And number four is Apple. Number two, salesforce.com, mm-hmm. and number five was Amazon. I don't know about you guys, but when I looked at the, this list, that surprised me. That that I, uh, in particular, Amazon, just because it's it's been in the last you know let's call it the last twelve months, there have been a couple of stories. First and foremost, that New York Times story about what a tough place it is to work, what a demanding place it is to work, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And it was just sort of interesting to see, sort of this is the other side of that coin. Did it? I mean, I mean that's what surprised me. Did anything stand out to you, Taylor?
1: Um, just how great some of the public companies have been as investments over time. Um, I personally had six of the top forty in my portfolio, and these aren't all public companies. So, um, if you stripped out the the private companies, you're looking at probably a list of the top twenty five, maybe. Um, and just those six alone over the last five years, I wish I had held them all for the last five years. Um, but they've all more than doubled the S and P five hundred, and that's. Google, uh, Salesforce, Amazon, Tesla, Under Armour, and Starbucks.
0: Jason, we talked on the radio show uh, over the weekend about one of the stories. So a week ago, we talked about Microsoft buying LinkedIn, and very little details were known at the time other than sort of the basics. As the week went on, one of the things we learned was that Salesforce was. A bidder for mm-hmm. LinkedIn before Microsoft even came in, and 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 in fact, Reed Hoffman and company went over to Satya Nadella and knocked on his door and said, "Hi, <laughs> Salesforce <laughs> is offering us a bag of money. Would you like to have a conversation?" Um, so so, uh, kudos to Salesforce.com for you know for for being that type of workplace that LinkedIn took their offer very seriously.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Terribly surprised at, I guess any of the companies on this list. Honestly, I mean, I think um, Salesforce. If you follow Mark Benioff on Twitter, I mean, he's a, he's sort of an outgoing guy, pretty pretty strong in his convictions, and he seems like a, he seems like genuinely a good person. And um, I think that what we've seen with most all of these companies, at least in the top ten, I think there are two of them that aren't public. Um, the other eight are in or have been in the Foolish Universe in some capacity uh, before, but I think that, generally speaking, I mean the takeaways from this is you're seeing a lot of tech-oriented companies. Obviously, makes a lot of sense given that so much in in our world today is based on advancements in technology. A lot of these businesses are founder-led in some capacity, um, and and I th- it's interesting with the Amazon thing because I think. And I, I don't, I've never worked at Amazon. I don't know what it's like to work there. And, and I've never met really anyone that, that uh, can give us too much insight. But it, it seems to me, at least, in some cases, people like to hold the fact that it is a demanding place to work against them. Like that's a bad thing. Oh, you're going to go in there, man, you, you may have your feelings hurt. And they're going to tell you that's not good enough. They're going to push you to be better and work harder. I don't know that that's necessarily a problem. I mean, it's probably a good thing. And maybe just half of the people out there in the workforce are so lazy that they, they just don't find that to be um, appropriate. I, I would beg to differ, because I think ultimately it's those challenging work environments that really give us uh, the greatest things that we have in our life. And when you look at Amazon, uh, for example, and then you read an interview with Jeff Bezos and he's talking about his point of view for his time on this earth. And what he's supposed to do is to kind of help build the infrastructure to help us start moving heavy industrialization out into space. I, I mean, you get it pretty quickly that this is a very, very big picture thinker who's thinking well beyond his his time on this earth. You're either going to be on board with war, with working with a guy like that, or you're not. But but I think that when you get into an environment like that, and I think a lot of these companies on this on this list are this way, they are companies that are really helping shape society and the earth. That we that we that we live on today, in, in the way that we will we will do things in the future. And I think that's great.
0: Well, and we, there are any number of stories about what a demanding place Google is to sure. work. Uh, Tesla Motors, which is number eight on this list, and uh, I read an interview recently where where someone was talking about Elon Musk and how uh, how demanding a person he is, and and there was some back and forth about. Um, uh, Having people work like on some big project, I forget the details of it, but the the thing I remember is, you know, having people work through the weekend and, and that sort of thing. And and someone made the comment about like, well, when are we supposed to see our families? And and, and <laughs> yeah. Musk replied by saying, what? oh, well, when we go out of business, you'll have plenty of time sure. to spend with your families. Uh, Coca Cola on this list. When you you know I, some good old fashioned I, southern
2: hospitality. I was going to say, I mean,
0: everything <laughs> you said about tech is is spot on. But then uh, we'll we'll tweet out through the foolery feed uh, the the link to this list. Uh, it's pretty interesting to go through, and I, I want to go back to to your comment, Taylor, about how this is this is one more way to find stocks. Mm-hmm. This is one more way to look at public companies is what are they like in terms of their talent? Because you can go to any person at any company who works in hiring, and they can and just start asking them about, well, what does it take? And it doesn't even matter where you work. Just talk to someone about hiring at wherever you work, and you will very quickly get a picture of how de- what a big demand of time and energy and resources that is, mm-hmm. and why. And this is something I know from talking with uh, Lee Burbage, longtime uh, HR exec here at, at Full HQ, why companies that focus on retention and saying, gosh, if if we can do better than our industry average in getting people to stay here, it will be so much better for our company if we do that.
1: Yeah, it's a significant cost of hiring. I know that when we were ranked the top small to mid sized business to work for for a couple of years in a row, we were just inundated with applications because people, Sought us out to work here, so that not only does a list like this help your help your recruiting, but it also helps your attention by people saying, "Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I don't have it that bad. If, if everyone at our company and the outside world now thinks that this is a great place to work, um, there's going to be more competition for my job, so I better step up." Um, but then also looking at it from an investment perspective, culture is huge for us when we look at companies to invest in and and to see the performance from. Um, at least the handful of companies I looked at that were on the list, it, it, it kind of adds some validity to that. We link to the Glassdoor ratings on our company-specific ticker pages at Fool.com um, because we do believe that the CEO should be well-respected. They're running the company and uh, and and hopefully running it well. So, culture management and, and employee satisfaction are definitely big reasons to invest in a company.
2: Yeah, think about it too, just sort of in a more of a sort of real life. Um, granted. Backward-looking sort of perspective here, but I think that we all could look back in in our lives and pick at least one, if not more, teachers that we had or professors in college that, at the time, you thought they were like, man, that that guy's a real hard ass. I mean, he will not (laughs) let me alone. It's just his class is so hard, and I can't. He just keeps on pushing and pushing, and I don't know what to do. And in hindsight, you look back, and it becomes a, a bit more clear that that teacher or professor pushes you so hard. But there's a positive there, right? I mean, that that is a demanding work environment, but but you get a lot out of that. Sometimes it's not so easy to see in the moment. It's a lot more. Uh, it's a lot easier to see in hindsight. And and I think you see a lot of the same kinds of things in in work environments. I mean, it, I think it's very easy to sort of react in the moment. Things can often look a little bit more. Uh, sensible in hindsight.
1: Well on that Amazon story, it was it was pretty much a one to one basis where someone came out that worked there that said they hated it. Someone came out that worked there in complete support of the Amazon environment. Um, you saw the main detractors people that I felt like didn't ever work there. They were just jumping on the bandwagon, yeah. oh it's gotta be such a terrible place. Look at what they did to this person. But people that worked there came to their defense.
0: Well and as we talked about when that story came out, look at let's take it away from business. Let's let's look at any other venue look at sports look at entertainment look at and congratulations to the long suffering fans in <laughs> cleveland uh, on the cleveland cavaliers winning but that's that you know if you if you want to be the best mm-hmm. Uh, then you you have to work harder than anyone else. And some of these companies are not looking to just be profitable and, and have interesting innovations. Yep. Uh, some of them are looking to be the very best.
2: And uh, I think that's the correlation there with the founders being, being uh, in this list as well. I mean, founders start a business really they have a goal in mind you look at something like amazon their mission is to be the most customer centric company on the face of the earth i mean those are no small words and that is a very big mission and the only way you do that is by putting together an awesome company of awesome people that really want to work their hardest and give you their best
0: i'm afraid i buried the lead in terms of news because for anyone who listened to thursday's episode when Morgan Housel was in here, maybe wondering, did Dan Boyd ever come back from Paris? (laughs) He did. We're going to get to Dan in a minute, but fear not. Dan Boyd is back behind the glass. Uh, One quick story before we get to Dan, though, and that is the continuing saga of Tribune publishing, which has rejected not just one, but two increasingly lucrative buyout offers from Gannett, and not content merely to just go it alone and uh, turned down those offers from Gannett. But Tribune Publishing, today, has officially changed the company's name to Trunk, Lowercase t. Lowercase t. T T-R-O-N-C. What does that stand for, you may ask? (laughs) It stands for Tribune Online Content. And let me just read a quote. From the company's chairman, Michael Farrow. Our rebranding to trunk represents the manner in which we will pool our technology and contour and let me back up. Our rebranding to trunk represents the manner in which we will pool our technology and content resources to execute on our strategy. Seems like these guys just figured out there's an internet
2: out there. Doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> this to the game, right? This
0: <laughs> statement, this name, the lowercase T, I feel like I hopped in a time machine and yeah. it's 2000.
1: Sure. I I just I a lot of buzzwords. A Lot
0: of
2: buzzwords. Yeah,
0: for I, a newspaper company. Did you
2: see the the Did you see the YouTube video nah. that links to? I mean, honestly, it, it seemed like something straight off of Silicon Valley, like the TV show on HBO. I mean, it, you really are watching the whole thing. You're thinking, is this actually? I mean, I'm waiting for a punchline. Is that they're actually serious and they're talk about buzzwords, machine learning, artificial intelligence. I mean. Come These on. are
0: two executives, and this was a video that was created for employees because this is a company that owns newspapers across the yeah. United States. So they're trying to get them as I you know, I applaud them for that strategy. But uh, it, I mean, though it really did seem like a parody video
2: it did. and i I mean, i I understand the logic in the name just because Tribune online content. I mean, I get that. But man, who greenlit that? What? Like that you can't do that. That sounds like it's like an onomatopoeia. It's well, like one of it's like a basketball hitting the front of the rim from three-point land trunk. You know, it's <laughs> I, I I just don't understand how they figure that is going to be a good
0: thing. Well, and, and as you indicated, it's 2016. Do you really need to go out of your way to remind people that you have content online? What are you doing? This like part of me
1: is laughing and part of me is just sad. <laughs> well, I wonder, like, how many people actually knew that Tribune was the name of the company that owned all those other brands, right? Like the the L.A. Times and the Chicago Tribune, but Baltimore Sun, Baltimore Sun. So you knew the newspapers, you might not have under, you might not have known Tribune. So. But the way that they're talking, I'm thinking Tronk is going to be the brand that they want people to know now moving forward. I don't think they are really going to care about the individual newspaper properties in the next decade if what they're talking about actually plays out becoming a premium verified content distribution network um, and a monetization company.
2: Well, and I think that goes back to what we talked about before a few weeks ago when we were talking about the New York Times, right? I mean, I think there was a time ago when people really did care about the actual source, whether it was the Baltimore Sun or the New York Times or the Washington. And post there, I think, was a, a lot more credence given to the actual publication that was communicating the information. Uh, and I, I just don't think that same weight exists today. I think that we get our news content via Twitter or Facebook. It, it, it I mean, it very often, I mean, it, it very often you don't even really rely on links on these platforms, you're more or less just consuming the information from those platforms and and so I, I don't think people necessarily care as much about the you know the actual pu- publication that, that they're they're getting the information from and so that makes sense from the perspective of of tronk saying hey let's consolidate and become really identifiable as, as one i don't necessarily disagree with that I, I mean i definitely disagree with the branding and the name i just don't think i, I don't think that really is going to be something that does him any favors down the road um, because honestly, when I think of Trunk, I would I would rather think of Baltimore Sun or Chicago yeah. Tribune or something. Not like very that. marketable. Yeah.
0: Trunk is my favorite transformer. <laughs> <laughs> Some people it's Optimus Prime, but for me it's Trunk. Dan Boyd, welcome back. Can you share one or two highlights from your time in Paris?
3: Uh, certainly, though I, I would like to touch on uh, Trunk real quick. Sure, of uh, course. <laughs> Come on with it. Uh, Bill Mann was tweeting uh, earlier about trunk and said that trunk should be the verb for when you commit an unforced error or mistake. Uh, like tripping over nothing on the sidewalk. I really (laughs) trunked that one.
1: Like a Batman call-out box. Yeah, yeah.
3: So I thought that was really funny. Um, uh, Paris is a great place. Uh, Yeah, so listeners, I went to my brother's wedding, which was in France, uh, in the Loire Valley, spent some time in Paris, and then went to Iceland for uh, four days, taking advantage of Iceland Air's stopover uh, uh, promotion, uh, which is you can just spend time in iceland and they give you a pretty cheap airline ticket to uh to get out there but paris is fantastic man love that place cool. well i mean
2: iceland wasn't fantastic uh
3: iceland was great uh the okay. uh just, just making sure the the, the the like the nature there is is unbelievable it's it's beautiful like the the country because uh, it's all like volcanic uh uh it's on the mid-atlantic ridge so it's all very volcanic and very uh rocky and uh, uh kind of like the moon and then you go into like an area that's just like beautiful farmland and Pretty pastoral.
0: So, yeah. What was something memorable that you ate?
3: Uh, so <laughs> maybe not what I <laughs> ate, but uh, what my friend Marcus ate. And maybe not what he ate, but how much he ate in one night. We were uh, going to watch the France and uh, Romania game, uh, the opener for the Euro Cup uh, at a cafe in Paris. And on the way, he got a kebab. And then there was a kebab stand across the street. And so 10 minutes later, he ate another kebab. Uh, And then after the game, we were walking back, and he wanted to stop at a crepery, a crepe stand, and he bought a steak and cheese crepe. Then before he was done eating that steak and cheese crepe, uh, he spotted a burrito place and bought a burrito (laughs) to eat that too. Uh, And I was pretty amazed at this point of how much food that man is able to handle.
0: Was he starving himself before this trip, or?
3: No, I just think he eats a lot.
0: <laughs> Welcome back.
3: Thank you very much, Chris. It's
0: Jay- great to be here. <laughs> Jason Moser, Taylor Muckman, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market MarketFoolery. The show is mixed, once again, by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you
1: tomorrow.